You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. We can use tech to build a stronger democracy and a fair economy. Really? Join me, Baratunde Thurston, on September 23rd and 24th for Unfinished Live, a convening of technologists, journalists, artists, and changemakers. You'll hear from Ethereum co-founder Gavin Wood, Glitch CEO Anil Dash, journalist Casey Newton and Anne Helen Peterson, and more. Go to live.unfinished.com for tickets and use the promo code LIVEAUDIO. At T-Mobile for Business, unconventional thinking means we see things differently so you can focus on what matters most. That's why we've become the leader in 5G, number one in customer satisfaction, and a partner who includes 5G in every plan. So you get it all. Unconventional thinking is better for business. Open Signal awards T-Mobile as America's fastest 5G network USA. 5G user experience report July 2021. Capable device acquired. Coverage not available in some areas. Some users may require certain plan or features. See T-Mobile.com. For J.D. Power 2020 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Welcome to Afternoon Cyber Tea with Ann Johnson, where we speak with some of the biggest security influencers in the industry about what is shaping the cyber landscape and what should be top of mind for the C-suite and other key security decision makers. I'm Ann Johnson, and today we're going to talk about diversity in the cybersecurity community, specifically efforts to improve diversity and inclusion and why those efforts are so important. I'm lucky to be joined by two outstanding guests today, Camille Stewart and Lauren Zabrick. Camille is a prolific advocate and strategist who works at the intersection of cybersecurity, national security, foreign policy, and social advocacy. And Lauren is the executive director of the Cyber Project at the Harvard Kennedy School's Belfer Center for Science and International Affairs. Together, Lauren and Camille recently collaborated on a social media campaign with a goal to amplify diverse voices in the cybersecurity community. Camille and Lauren, welcome and thank you for joining us on Afternoon Cyber Tea. Thank you so much for having us, Anne. Yeah, thank you. It's really great to be here. So the topic today, diversity in the cybersecurity community, it's, it's a sensitive one and it's probably going to be at times a difficult one for some of our listeners, but I think it's incredibly important. I speak about it an awful lot, blog about it, etc. And I'm looking forward to actually hearing your perspectives. But before we dive in, I'd actually like to give each of you a quick overview of your background and how you got to where you are. So Camille, can we start with you? Sure. So I am a cybersecurity attorney. I worked on the Hill and uh, immediately after law school went to Cyvalence, a cybersecurity company that focuses on open source threat intelligence and was in-house there for about five years before going to the Department of Homeland Security to focus on cyber infrastructure and resilience policy. Um, That included a number of international relationships that I managed, as well as election security, uh, cyber export controls, and a number of other things. After that, I went to Deloitte to continue that work from the outside. And so I was focused on DHS and DOD, but also helped build our election security practice and focused on tech innovation. So scouting new agile capabilities to scale into the federal environment. And uh, a year and a half ago, I transitioned to Google where I'm the head of security policy and election integrity for Android and Google Play. And a 
the Share the Mic in Cyber campaign um, was born of a desire to see the implication of Black practitioners in cyber and was inspired by a, um, uh, a similar campaign done called Share the Mic Now on Instagram and was the, the catalyst for this beautiful collaboration with Lauren. Well, thank you so much for that intro and your background and um, really fascinating. Um, I don't get an opportunity um, to talk to a lot of cyber attorneys, so um, we'll probably have some content for that, even though we're talking about diversity a little bit. Um, let's transition to Lauren, though. Lauren, can you talk a little bit about your background and how you came to where we are today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I started my career as a military officer uh, way back in uh, the beginning of the of you know, 2003, I guess you'd say. Um, and then Camille, I didn't know this, but we, I was also at Deloitte. So we shared that uh, together as well. Um, I went to Deloitte after getting out of the military. And then um, soon after that, I actually decided that I wanted to go back into um, the intelligence community, but this time as a civilian. Um, while I was there, um, experienced personal tragedy. My brother um, was killed in Afghanistan. And so after that happened, I transitioned to the Office of Counterterrorism so that I could deploy to Afghanistan and work to dismantle those terror networks. Um, so I did three deployments to Afghanistan and I spent about six years um, at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. After that, um, I actually left government to move to a cybersecurity startup called Recorded Future. And it turned out to be one of the best things that happened to me because, you know, I had been in counterterrorism for most of my career and now I was getting to do cybersecurity, something I'd never been um, uh, exposed to really before. And I helped to build the public sector intelligence services team. I, I led and managed that. Um, and then I was lucky enough to enter Harvard Kennedy School um, and get my MPA from there. I graduated in 2019. And now I'm the executive director of the cyber project at the Belfer Center. And how I got to this moment, um, I, I suppose sort of circuitously, is that I've always had a focus on the advancement of women in national security because that has always just been my lived experience, especially having worked in you know really alpha male dominated environments. And then of course, going to the Kennedy School expanding my worldview and learning more about systemic and institutional racism in this country. And then of course, combined with the murders of George Floyd, Ahmed Arbery and Breonna Taylor this spring, um, really led me to re-examine my role and conclude that I could do better from my position. And so, but I also knew that sort of declaration, you know, would really have to be backed up through words and action. And so I saw with my role here, I have a platform and I have privilege. Um, and so when I saw the Share the Mic Now campaign on Instagram that Camille just mentioned, I, I you know, had that spark that this could be applied to cybersecurity. So Lauren, um, before we get to the topic, and I'm gonna say, you know, it always sounds trite, right? When people say it, but first, thank you for your service. And second, I, I'm so sorry that you lost your brother and I can't imagine I would never have been brave enough to do what you did. So well, thank you. That's very kind of you to say. And and I, I just tell that story because, you know, I, I think it would be easy to sort of gloss over it, but it is part of my, you know, what, what really shaped me and what got me here today. So, you know, thanks for allowing me to share that. 
it, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And I'm just thrilled to have both of you on the podcast because when we talk about diversity, one of the things that, and I, I've been a woman in tech now over 30 years, um, my whole career, and one of the things that you'll hear frequently is the, and I heard it, you know, in many points in my career, oh, so-and-so's just, you know, just got that job or just that because they're a woman, they need a woman, right? And to, to hear, and I was on a panel um, last summer with a woman who had an amazing educational background and then had gone out to get every certification she could possibly think of. And I finally said to her, I said, why? I said, you know, why did you make that investment? Was it just you were super interested or and you know what she said to me? She said, it's because it removes all the objections. No one can find an excuse not to hire me. And no one can say I only got a job just because I'm a woman. I have every certification they could possibly want. And when I listen to both you and Camille, your lived experiences and your backgrounds, it, it just compels me to get, and I'm going to say this um, word, angry, because there are so many highly capable and qualified women and you know diverse candidates out there that get minimized because somebody's gaslighting them. So anyway, now that I've got that out of my system, let's have a good conversation and get your perspectives. Um, You've both worked across public sector, you've been in private sector, and the experiences are quite different. So, and yet you ended up collaborating, you know, on the Share the Mic and Cyber campaign. Whose idea was that? Did you know each other beforehand? How'd you end up actually working together? And let's uh, let's start this one with Lauren, and then we'll come to Camille. Sure. So, uh, as I mentioned, I had seen um, the campaign. It was called Share the Mic Now on Instagram. And it seemed to really originate out of the entertainment industry. And I thought, this could be really interesting. And so I reached out to another colleague. And and then I saw Camille, whom I had never met before. And I don't even know if I was following you on Twitter, Camille, um, tweet about it. So super random. And I immediately responded. And um, we started uh, DMing from there um, and then hopped on the phone. Within a few weeks, you know, we had organized and reached out to um, you know, people in our respective networks um, and got a lot of interest both on the black practitioner side and the ally side and literally just worked together to, to throw this plan, you know, together to make it happen. And then to see the response from everyone involved was just really humbling. Yeah, I mean, it was a fortuitous collaboration that we couldn't have planned for. We, as Lauren said, we'd never met. Um, and I put the tweet out saying, I would love to see this in national security and in cybersecurity. And, and through an organization I co-founded, Diversity and National Security Network, we did it for national security broadly on Juneteenth, June 19th, as a celebration um, of that holiday. And, um, and then we did it in cyber on June 26th. And both were a beautiful celebration of diversity and one of the most compelling displays of um, community I've seen in the cyber community and the NatSec community, and both have led to so much more in, in ways that I could have never dreamed of. And so I'm so glad that Lauren and I decided not to let that tweet pass us, not to let that moment pass us, and to, um, to collaborate on this. Me too. It was yeah. incredible. I was witnessing it, you know, happen in real time. And it was just this incredible. And to your point, there were so many people involved. Um, and it was, you know, the cybersecurity community and the InfoSec community can be a little toxic at times. But this is one of the places where I, I felt it really came together um, in a meaningful way. 
so thank you. <laughs> um, the um, as part of the campaign of the Share the Mic and Cyber campaign, I know you partnered with the Women in Security and Privacy with WISP to fund a scholarship. Um, and in looking at that, it seems to that that even started organically. I'm not sure which of you um, drove that or if it was joint, but can you talk a little about that and the outcome? Yeah, so it, it was organic. Neither of us drove it. It actually came out of one of the pairs. Um, Najla and Rachel Toback were paired up as part of the campaign, and they were going to raise money for Najla to get the training she needed as part of their um, exchange on Twitter. And they were so successful, and Rachel was inspired by the success of getting the funding for Najla that she decided to engage WISP to make it bigger and to get that same kind of funding for trainings and you know to attend conferences, et cetera, things that could advance the careers of the Black practitioners um, through WISP. And so it, it grew organically into something much bigger. So we're really excited um, to see how it's grown and are encouraging folks to do similar efforts, right? We want this to be a movement that's bigger than the the days that the campaign actually runs and to spark longstanding um, change. And so the WISP collaboration is a really good example of just that. Absolutely. And and I did want to say, too, that it was, you know, I think we both found it funny. Rachel was like, hey, I don't mean to step on your toes. And we're like, no, this is amazing. Um, you know, we'd love to kind of see these things happen organically. And, um, you know, we all have full time jobs, right? So we're more than happy for others to take the lead on these other aspects. That is really incredible. And Rachel is um, Rachel was a guest on the podcast. Um, I don't remember if last season or first season. She's such an incredible human and so interesting also. She really is. Her her story is great. Yeah. So as we continue to talk, then one of the things that, you know, the tweet announcing the campaign said racism like cybersecurity is a national security issue. I know we talk a lot about um, racism in, in artificial intelligence and machine learning models. I was actually um, last time I was on the Microsoft campus, I was in the ladies room with, with a woman who was wearing a black suit and had a lot of difficulty getting the automatic faucet work. And I use that as, again, she was frustrated. I use that as a conversation because I had an opening to talk about um, racial inequity and to talk about, though, the fact that even a model for something as, as should be as, as simple as everyday use, right, of an automatic faucet, we don't, we don't do the right testing for a diverse population. And I know that's super basic. It's not AI. It's not cybersecurity. But I think people need, like, that type of realness to understand that society is inherently structured to be racist in many ways. But can you talk then in a much bigger topic about how that racism like cybersecurity is a national security issue? What do you see and what would you argue that governments and organizations need to do to address the risks that, that presents? Racism is inherently a cybersecurity issue because um, people are at the core of how security controls are adopted and how technology is used. And if we don't address issues of race and systemic racism, the processes, the institutions that we are building security into are inherently um, vulnerable because of systemic racism and racial issues. So the example I think that folks are most familiar with is, is misinfo, disinfo. And as we look at cyber issues around um, election security and around election integrity and folks being targeted 
for information operations, we saw in 2016 that Black Americans were targeted, but we have not seen a response to that, that directed action at a community in a way that addresses the root of why they are a susceptible ear, right? Their disenfranchisement, their distrust of systems is why they can be leveraged as a tool and a target for information operations. But it's broader than that. Um, technology is weaponized. Um, bias is baked in or as you or leveraged as part of um, how a tool, a capability is used or, or implemented into a system or an infrastructure and becomes a vulnerability. If you don't understand how communities are using your tool, if you don't understand how bias will affect how your, uh, your operator will leverage a tool, if you don't understand how um, a community will respond to something, you are inherent, your security protocols, your policies, your technology is inherently flawed in ways that you haven't calculated for. So it goes to the efficacy of the things that we're doing, the policies we're implementing, the national security um, strategy that we are leveraging is inherently flawed if we don't understand how the institutions, the processes, the people that are at the center of it are um, affected. And we are all different. Those intersectional attributes matter in how adoption and proliferation of a technology or a policy or anything um, moves through moves through our society. I think that's really tangible um, and something people can consume. Lauren, do you, do you have further thoughts? Yeah. And, you know, I just wanted to say, too, that, you know, Camille writing on this and speaking on this, I just think, you know, your her your insights are are so brilliant on that. You know, for me, you know, as someone coming from the military at the beginning of my career and then, you know, also later from the intelligence community, um, and then later in the private sector, you know, I've just I've seen what it looks like when there is a lack of diversity in these spaces. You know, at the end of the day, without diverse perspectives, we're we're essentially putting on blinders that can impact how we look at intelligence questions, you know, at how we shape workforces of the future and prepare for future events and how we actually lead through crises. And so while I can't speak to the actual lived experiences of people of color in the IC, you know, we're trying to understand more. Um, you know, my sister project at the Belfer Center, the Intelligence Project, which is run by um, Paul Colby and Caitlin Chase, will be putting on a virtual seminar this fall aimed at understanding these experiences and generating policy recommendations um, to help maintain uh, or bring in and maintain diversity in the community. So, uh, thank you, Lauren. I think that's um, I think that's helpful, and I want to I want to pull the thread a little bit deeper on both of those. Um, so building on that, Camille, you recently wrote a piece uh, for the Council on Foreign Relations titled Systemic Racism as a Cybersecurity Threat, and you've written that diversity is, the, is a strategic advantage. Can you explain a bit more on, on the diversity as a strategic advantage? And, and if you're comfortable, share examples of why having a more diverse team might have mitigated a serious issue or, or mitigate a serious issue faster? Sure. So different lived experiences, different perspectives, um, different opinions, those things born of diversity, born of a variety of, of, uh, of perspectives coming together to collaborate and look at an issue differently um, is the hallmark of innovation. 
And so to be innovative as a national security apparatus, to be innovative in cybersecurity, uh, bringing our best to bear, bringing everything we have to bear um, in terms of diverse perspectives is how we are innovative, how we stay ahead of um, the threats that are coming our way. And we do ourselves a disservice because one of the best things about this country is its diversity, um, to not leverage that, to make sure that's not represented in leadership and in how we uh, coalesce around a problem, how we strategize around a problem is a very big miss for us. Um, it also put, paints us in the picture of as a hypocrite, right? As we, when we show up on the foreign stage and are admonishing folks for human rights violations and for, you know, um, leaving voices out of their political discourse or, you know, other human rights violations, and we have large swaths of our population that are not represented, um, we look like hypocrites. Or even less, you know, less obvious is if every time you engage with a nation, um, you never show them the richness of your diversity and the teams that show up for them, you are not as credible as a partner, not as credible um, as a as a leader, and you are missing opportunities to make connections in ways that, you know, are, are more subtle. Um, and quite frankly, you know, it, it's very strategic from a technical perspective, too. So WhatsApp is another example I tend to use. WhatsApp is a tool that most of us would have thought that we'd have a handle on how folks are using it, right? It's a tech messaging app. Um, People use it particularly when they are traveling and um, and you communicate with your family and friends via that, that means. But in immigrant communities, it is much different. It is not only a means of communicating with your family, but people are sending memes, people send images, people send what amount to what used to be chain letters on email, they send them on WhatsApp and you're getting them from your most trusted uh, people in your life, your mom, your cousin, your aunt overseas. And so the way that information is flowing in that community is very different. And it's ripe for a lot of misinformation. Around COVID, you'll see that there are home remedies and other random things that are being spread between communities on WhatsApp. You'll see information about how to vote being spread on WhatsApp. And until WhatsApp had folks from diverse backgrounds, folks from immigrant communities, I can imagine that that was not a um, dynamic that they understood well. And it has changed a lot of how they view content moderation and how much they focus on content moderation. And so missing diversity on a very tactical level could mitigate a lot sooner um, how these tools and capabilities provide or present vulnerabilities for different communities. Because it's not that WhatsApp isn't working as intended, but when you don't anticipate how it'll be leveraged and moved through a different community, you can't calculate for a given vulnerability or respond to it quickly enough. I think that's I think that's right. And I think that we talk a lot about diversity in context of different lived experiences at the core of it, different, you know, educational, socioeconomic backgrounds. It's it's not just about being a man or a woman, right? I, I love that perspective, um, Camille. 
Thank you to our audience for joining us. We are going to continue our conversation with Camille Stewart and Lauren Zabrick in our next episode of Afternoon Cyber Tea, focusing on future-proofing against bias. We can use tech to build a stronger democracy and a fair economy. Really. Join me, Baratunde Thurston, on September 23rd and 24th for Unfinished Live, a convening of technologists, journalists, artists, and changemakers. You'll hear from Ethereum co-founder Gavin Wood, Glitch CEO Anil Dash, journalist Casey Newton and Anne Helen Peterson, and more. Go to live.unfinished.com for tickets and use the promo code LIVEAUDIO. At T-Mobile for Business, unconventional thinking means we see things differently so you can focus on what matters most. That's why we've become the leader in 5G, number one in customer satisfaction, and a partner who includes 5G in every plan. So you get it all. Unconventional thinking is better for business. Open Signal Awards T-Mobile as America's fastest 5G network USA. 5G user experience report July 2021. Capable device acquired. Coverage not available in some areas. Some users may require certain plan or features. See T-Mobile.com. For J.D. Power 2020 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. This week on Uncovering Hidden Risks, we explore how you can use a cloud-native application protection platform to solve different challenges. Be sure to listen in and follow us at uncoveringhiddenrisks.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.